The word of God from Daniel chapter 3, 1 through 7. Nebuchadnezzar makes a decree. King Nebuchadnezzar made a gold statue, 90 feet high and 9 feet wide. He set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. King Nebuchadnezzar sent word to assemble the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the rulers of the provinces to attend the dedication of the statue King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. So the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the rulers of the provinces assembled for the dedication of the statue that the king had set up. Then they stood before the statue King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. A herald loudly proclaimed, people of every nation and language, you are commanded. When you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, drum, and every kind of music, you are to fall face down and worship the gold statue that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. But whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into the furnace of blazing fire. Therefore, when all the people heard the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, and every kind of music, people of every nation and language fell down and worshipped the gold statue that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. The word of God for the people of God. Okay, I think we're ready to go. That is my worst nightmare in action right there. Okay, I'm going to invite you to take your Bibles now and uh, turn to the book of Daniel. There is a Bible underneath the seat in front of you or somewhere on the row in front of you underneath the seat. I'd encourage you to grab that and turn to the book of Daniel as we will be working our way through this text. If there hadn't been such an abrupt interruption for a tech issue, you would have ended hearing the reading that whoever does not bow before a statue will be burned. So let me ask you, to, quite, to say it quite bluntly, if you had the choice between bowing before a statue or burning in a giant oven, which would you choose? Let me, let me word it a little more nuanced, perhaps. What should we do when the culture exerts pressure to conform our priorities, our allegiances, to its priorities and allegiances in a way that dishonors God, the God who created us, and the God who forgives us in Christ? The book of Daniel and this particular story found in this chapter of Daniel helps us to ask this question of ourselves, even as we see three young men live it out. So it's late afternoon. We're about 16 miles south of Babylon, the plain of Dura. Do you see the man standing over there on the hillside? That's King Nebuchadnezzar. Yes, he does have a hard hat in his hand. He's surveying a busy construction site. He's left the palace back in Babylon under the trusted supervision of his advisor, Daniel. 
King Nebuchadnezzar's reign at this point, his realm, extends from the Black and Caspian Seas in the north to the Persian Gulf and the Red Sea in the south and the Mediterranean Sea to the west. And Nebuchadnezzar is a guy with an eye for design, architecture, and construction. You may have heard of his Babylonian beautification plan with projects like the Hanging Gardens of Babylon, fabled for their beauty. I have in person seen portions of the beautiful Ishtar gates to the city that he built within, uh, made up of blue mosaic tile. It is truly beautiful. I think we have a picture on the screen, or should shortly. It's stunning in its beauty. And currently, Nebuchadnezzar is standing in the finished construction zone of his latest idea. It's a monument. Nebuchadnezzar had his party planner send out the invitations to the dedication ceremony, but they're the sort of invitations that don't have an RSVP on them because you really don't have a choice. No response is needed. You're going to be at the dedication ceremony. It's an event for the social elite It's a black tie, red carpet affair. Think the Emmys and the Grammys and the Tonys all wrapped up into one. All the works. Everyone who is anyone within Babylonian society is going to be here, 16 miles south of Babylon. The officials leave the city in a caravan of black Mercedes SUVs or maybe camels. And they're headed south on the pan-Babylonian interstate. And as they turn a corner, there stands the monument. In a pre-skyscraper world, it seems to touch the very clouds at 90 feet tall. It's nine feet wide, it's covered in gold, it's a glittering display of the king's glory. And some might say it looks... A bit like Nebuchadnezzar, after all, he was the head of gold, you may remember from the previous dream. And this slide on the screen is of the Colossus of Rhodes. It was built more than 300 years after this statue in Daniel 3. And this Colossus of Rhodes, which was one of the ancient wonders of the world, was a mere 15 feet taller than Nebuchadnezzar's statue. And the officials in the very front have a view of the statue directly in front of them. To the right of the statue, the king's box is angled, allowing him to view the growing crowd and the curious monument. Behind the king is seated the Babylonian Philharmonic Orchestra, filled with instruments you've never even heard of, and I don't know, you might not even want to hear As the spectators await the beginning of the ceremony, some notice that off to the left, smoke is lazily drifting from the top of two massive earthen mounds. They're ovens. One had been used to fire the bricks that made this statue that created the inside of this monument. The other had been used to melt the gold that had then been placed around those bricks. The ovens have a dirt ramp leading up each one of them to the top where there's a giant hole 
there's a large opening on, in the top for tossing down the fuel. That's what the hole's for. And on each side of the oven, there is a giant door. That was where unfired bricks or vats would be placed inside the oven. And the crowd quiets as a herald ascends a platform. Verse 4. A herald loudly proclaimed, People of every nation and language, you are commanded when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, drum, and every kind of music, you are to fall face down and worship the gold statue that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Now you came here expecting a dedication ceremony. You know, eating and drinking, applauding, cheering, dancing. These all seem appropriate for a dedication ceremony, but this has just turned into a worship service. That's an interesting twist. And the herald continues, Whosoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into the blazing fiery furnace right over there. Well, now that's a disturbing choice, wouldn't you say? What's happening here? The most powerful king of the world is flexing his muscles. He's demonstrating his sovereignty. Showing his control over the not-so-sovereign gods his people worship. And if you don't like it, well, guess what? You can just fry in the fire doesn't matter to him so for the officials it's sure it's a disturbing choice but it's actually kind of a simple choice isn't it i mean seriously better to be a living pretender with no integrity at all than to be a human barbecue with convictions right i mean seriously this is the king's party and it's the king's world and if you want to make it out alive, then when the king says dance, you better dance. Or when he says bow, you better bow. In the silence that follows this announcement, we see King Nebuchadnezzar give a slight nod of his head. And the plains are alive with the sound of music. As the music grows... The assembled host, like a breaking wave, rolls to its knees and bows prostrate before the statue. It is, of course, the expected response. Seemingly the entire world bowing as one organism to this golden god. So what's happening? At the sound of music, every knee is bowing and every tongue quietly confessing that King Nebuchadnezzar is God to the glory of King Nebuchadnezzar. It's a devastating display of false worship, but given the stakes, it's not surprising. Here in Daniel 3, quickly as it became... A worship service it's over the event is done so it's not surprising that immediately lines begin forming over at the taco truck as they're ready to get along with the rest of the celebration 
but not so fast. There's a commotion. Apparently, three men we hadn't seen didn't bow. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Perhaps 15 to 18 years old, maybe early 20s at this point. They remained standing and they never actually bowed. But that's crazy, right? In the face of a death threat laced invitation to worship a statue, why would anyone think twice? Surely any other God will give you a pass in this situation, right? Like, just go ahead. You got to preserve yourself. Self preservation is important. So bow the knee. Keep worshiping your true God in your mind, but just follow the crowd and live to serve your God another day. Why take the risk? Well, King Nebuchadnezzar is, to put it mildly, furious. The veins near the king's temple are starting to bulge, and the redness of his face is matched only by Well, actually, the flame over there in the oven that you can see out of the corner of your eye. Because the sovereign king, Nebuchadnezzar, has just realized something. He's actually not as sovereign as he thought he was. In fact, he is powerless to make three Hebrew teens bow before his God. So, Nebuchadnezzar commands those three young men to be brought before him. Barely able to control his seething anger, we read this in verse 14. Nebuchadnezzar asked them, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, is it true that you don't serve my gods or worship the golden statue I have set up? Now, if you're ready, when you hear the sound of the horn and the zither and the lyre and the flute and the harp and the drum and every kind of music, fall down and worship the statue I made. Surely you misunderstood the instructions, guys. A second chance. A fair monarch, if, well, a bit power hungry. No need to cook three Hebrew teens over an overzealous piety, right? He continues, but if you don't worship it, you will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace of fire. And who is the God that can rescue you from my hands? Bow or burn? Those are the options. A seemingly irresistible invitation. Now, let's be real. The three young men at this point will surely realize that this is not the time for religious deal, right? Like, you've made your point. You've stopped the whole worship service All the attention's on you. Expediency says bow. This is life or death. The stakes could not be higher. 
surely kneeling before some brick and gold, because that's what it is, it's not worth losing your life over, guys. Come on. But Nebuchadnezzar's question hangs in the air. You can almost read it in the air. Who is the God who can rescue you from my power? What a question. The most powerful monarch in the world has just set up a power struggle with himself at center stage. He is pitting himself against any other God who dares take up the cause of these three foolish Hebrew teens. Quite the intriguing competition. The question bounces off the desert rocks. There's a long silence. It's actually just a moment, but it feels like an eternity. And then maybe, maybe it's Shadrach speaks up for the three. Replies to the king. Nebuchadnezzar, we don't need to give you an answer to this question. If the God we serve exists, then he can rescue us from the furnace of blazing fire, and he can rescue us from the power of you, the king. Friends, do you hear the insanity in that answer? I mean, seriously. Declaring your God has power to deliver you from fire when there is no immediate danger of fire, well, that's one thing. But declaring that he might or might not choose to 